Welcome to The Fader Interview. I'm Alex Robert Ross, Editorial Director of The Fader. Montanans take Independence Day seriously. The mountainous Northwest doesn't get many warm weather days each year, even fewer that align with national holidays. So its frontier cities go all out at the opportunity. Festivals, backyard barbecues, massive fireworks displays that light up the state's vast grasslands. As a kid, Alaska Reed would sing the national anthem at her hometown's 4th of July rodeo. The rest of the story practically writes itself. Young girl with preternatural musical talent decamps to Los Angeles and starts kicking around with her acoustic six-string and Patsy Cline dresses. She puts out vinyl-only releases with her indie rock band, then forms a creative and romantic partnership with A.G. Cook, the producer who, arguably, invented hyperpop. Together, they art damage her hypnotic guitar work with synthesizers and glitchy drums. Reed's songs are full of details that contain whole worlds unto themselves, but pass by as quickly as mile markers. On her debut album, Disenchanter, out this Friday via Luminel, a division of Fat Possum Records, their origins are varied and often indeterminate. Any given lyric might pull from Reed's own life, come from a close friend or family member, or be entirely fabricated. Palomino channels her mother's journey west, while allusions to apples and ice on Leftover reconstruct a scene of sisterly bonding by a DIY pierced ears. Reed leans hard into the writer side of songwriter, understanding that sometimes you have to make up your way to the truth. Often she'll dip into an almost whispered cadence, transforming her words into what sounds like a secret. After signing to Fat Possum, Reed was thrilled to learn that her new label had little interest in proof of concept EPs or hype building singles. Her songs work best as parts of a full body of work. And anyway, she already had plenty of material to display her bona fides. Even Crush, the one streamable album from her former band Alieska, glimmers with a then unrealized intuition for sticky pop hooks. On Disenchanter, the guitars are louder and the melodies cut deeper, from a windows down anthem like French fries to the devastating quietude of Arctic Heart. After last week's July 4th festivities, the faders Walden Green talked to Reed about the pains of growing up, the poetry of Ray Young Bear, and pushing beyond her creative safe zone to end up somewhere thrilling and new. We were laughing in the booth, we got a little drunk, we were sharing cold french fries. You were talking about your dreams and creepy memories and bleeding through your Levi's. Oh, I won't judge you, I won't judge you, you can cry. Oh, but I judge you for all those missing times. So... The day that we're talking, not only is it, you know, the day after 4th of July, but um, your debut album is also coming out very soon. How does that feel? It feels really good. I mean, honestly, it's, uh, I don't know how to feel about it. I, I'm I'm pretty excited for the album to come out overall because I think one of the important things about my work and is, and this is also why I decided to go with the record label that I went with is they were very enthusiastic about putting out a full body of work. 
immediately. Like I didn't have to do an EP. I didn't have to do like a bunch of singles. Like everything was going to work towards this album. I think my work really needs the context, I guess, kind of the world building element with the lyrics for it to be what I want it to be. So I'm pretty excited for people to be able to journey through the album and, and see the different things, the different elements of it, because it's definitely not a case of every song sounds the same. I personally don't look for that in other artists. Like I don't look for just a vibe in other artists. I'm really looking to go on the damn road with them, like in a metaphorical sense in that I really want to know all their different sides. And so that's really what I tried to do with this album is um, show some different sides. And so the singles are each from very different regions of the album stylistically. So I'm excited for it to come out because I think it will help people in a way understand the context of it. Not like people haven't before, but you know, it's such a weird world now, the way that we consume music and the way that social media is paired with it because it's like that one thing is going to represent everything because everyone needs like a tweet. Everyone needs a sound bite. And not really. I think people actually like digesting stuff in a different, slower way. And people really like to be fans, but it feels like the world really works against us in a way. So I like the idea of an album being like, no, you need to live with this. You need to sit in it. I'm not just one thing. Even though your label didn't have you like put out EPs or anything prior to this release, there definitely was, of course, some like proof of concept with the Big Bunny project that you put out, which was kind of the first time that I fell in love with your music. And then even before that, with your previous band and that record Crush came out in 2017, right? And I feel like really shares quite a bit of DNA with Disenchanter, even though that's there's a, a pretty wide gulf of time between them. What would you say has carried through for you over the course of that time? And what would you say has, has changed about the way you engage with your art? I mean, I think it's a couple different things. A, I was so young when I was in my band, Alieska. I think I started it around 17. And I did it until I was like 21. And I think part of the beauty about being younger for me is, is that I weirdly wasn't judgmental of myself creatively. And I don't know if that was the environment around me really cultivated that, but I'm very grateful for that because some of my wackiest stuff is from when I was younger. And I never worried about song structure in Alieska. I had no awareness of pop music whatsoever. I'm like the same person, but at the same time, I, I see that I'm definitely more open-minded in a way in terms of different genres of music. But I guess I'm more critical of what I'm writing now. And so I think that's how stuff has changed. I try and obscure myself a little bit in it more for just personal privacy's sake, it's sometimes a lot to be just writing the absolute raw details of your life and relationships with people. So I've obscured that a bit. And I also have really fallen in love with this idea of, for so long, I thought it was like a dirty thing to have a tightly structured song. Like I'd be like, why? Like I can just jam out on the bridge for forever, which is something I really like to do. And then I sort of started thinking about the songs I gravitate towards in life. 
and how I wasn't applying those rules to them. Like I didn't want to hear necessarily a Fleetwood Mac song that jammed out forever and didn't return to a great chorus. Like I loved hearing that and I loved having that structure. And so I, I then started applying that mentality to my own songs being like, it's just about writing a good song and it's hard no matter what, like it doesn't make it weirder and it doesn't make it harder to not follow a structure. I've kind of just evolved a lot. I've become more conscious of decisions with this album versus uh, Alieska album. And also in terms of like through lines, I've always loved the guitar stuff and I'm constantly building upon the guitar. And it's funny because I recently spoke to Sadie from that band Speedy Ortiz. She's amazing. And she said something really interesting to me that I had, hadn't heard someone say. And she was like, I'm building upon my past work and enriching it. And I think a lot of times we're like, I'm trying to do a totally new, different thing. And it's like, yes, I'm trying to do that as well. But I'm also trying to enrich all the groundwork and the DNA of my guitar language and stuff into my newest album. And I'm also trying to sing in a more conscious way. I'm, I'm trying to use my voice slightly in a more consciously expressive way. It's just getting older and, and getting in your head a, more, I guess, which is good and bad. Yeah, so much of, of what you just said reminds me of this one lyric on Arctic Heart from the new album, when you sing, I miss when nothing was embarrassing. That one literally jumped out at me like the first time that I was listening to it all the way through because I feel like in a way it's kind of a linchpin for a lot of these themes of like youth and young adulthood that run through most of the songs on the record. And I'm wondering like, was that a conscious choice for you to really focus the the themes and the songwriting on like that period of life? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's interesting because I'm an older sister. I have three younger sisters. And so I think you're kind of in a weird way, especially when you're close to your siblings, like thinking more, like you're kind of forced to confront the time period that they are in their age in a way that I don't think I necessarily would be if I was in a different position in my family or if I didn't have siblings that I was close to or didn't have siblings. So I think sometimes I look to them to also think about myself to also be a better older sister or to just understand stuff. And I'm thinking in particular of that song Leftover because I talk about this character that I've created that I'm kind of seeing again who's in this phase of going into adulthood. And I think for everyone, it's very hard to transition into adulthood. And I think I'm 26 now and I'm still thinking about stuff and like, you know, having those, whoa, my mind's blown moments, which is really, you'd think I'd be over that by now. But I think uh, seeing my sisters grow up really has made me think about what a weird time in my life that was and how formative it was and kind of how hard it was. And so I'm writing songs a little bit about that. From baby tea to beer, t-shirt from freshman year, hitchhike at sunrise. She had the same restless eyes. Remember when my sisters pierced your ears? Apples and ice.
as soon as you mentioned your younger sister's leftover was the first song that my mind went to because I was thinking about the ear piercing anecdote with the apples and the ice. Is that something that like you pulled from your own life or is that something that you kind of like invented? The album named Disenchanter is about sort of observing these things and pulling from it. And uh, I'm probably the least crazy but they were all getting blood <laughs> and everything everywhere because they were like poking their friend's ear with with apples and ice because they had heard that that's the way to do it so i was just observing that but i mean that's a really interesting song because i was trying to bridge these two time periods and i think that's something i'm trying to do in my work a lot is like bridge time because i started with this idea of hearing about situation with somebody that really upset me and the reason I was so emotionally um, responsive to it is because it had reminded me of somebody that had been a close friend of mine when I was growing up it was me thinking back to being a kid and not understanding all these elements of her life and and finding the whole situation really difficult with our friendship and, and being really like upset about this stuff that I perceived that she was putting herself through. I feel like the world puts these types of people that you have trouble with or things that you need to deal with in front of you until you kind of resolve it or learn to deal with it or, or stop recognizing it. But I had felt like the world was putting a version of that girl in my life again. And, and it was me getting so upset, not just about this present moment, but about the things of my past and me saying like, I'm going to try and be your angel, but I, I can't because I, I'm, I get so frustrated. And it, it's kind of that thing of understanding too, that maybe some of the things that my friend had been going through back then that I didn't think of when I was a little girl and that this character that I kind of created, which is a mixture of fiction and not fiction, what she was going through was because of kind of like external forces that were very challenging for them. And it's kind of, it's a sad song. I think it's maybe one of the saddest songs on the record. And it's also that deep older sister feeling of, of what do I do? Like I, I just try so hard and I just want it to be right. But like elementally, I, I get so angry about it. So it would be fair to say that most or all of your songs are sort of blending these true parts, these things that are pulled from your own life, from your own emotional experiences with these like anecdotes that come from elsewhere and with these like fictitious characters that you're creating, right? Yeah, that's completely accurate. Because I think at the end of the day, it's like writers that I really admire are combining elements of themselves and real things, but also kind of heightening it and romanticizing it a bit even if it doesn't feel romantic. So I think that's sort of what I was trying to do with that song because ultimately it's a protection measure in a way. And it's probably more interesting overall because it's forcing you as a writer to metabolize the situation within yourself and see it more for what it really is instead of just being like, this is what happened exactly. Like, that's not really you necessarily adding your own shade to it. So I think that's what I wanted to do with this song is add my perspective to this these seeds of, of, of reality and kind of grow it because that's me expressing what my internal world felt about the whole thing in a, in a more unique way. I know you've spoken before about drawing inspiration in your songwriting from authors and prose writers as much as from songwriters and, and musical inspirations. And so 
I, I'm curious to know if there are, are there any specific writers that stand out to you as inspirations that you were pulling from when you were writing Disenchanter? When I wrote part of this, it was during lockdown and I just was spending a lot of time in my bedroom reading and, and also doing online school. I was at UCLA at that point. I was reading a lot of poetry because I was doing a poetry workshop too. And my dad, I don't know why, my, my dad is like, he's a writer and he reads a ton. And so he gave me this book. He was like, oh, I think he had maybe seen one, this po- one poem somewhere. And he bought the book out of curiosity. And it was this guy named Ray Young Bear. And for some reason, because it was like lockdown mindset, I was like, I'm going to go on Facebook and like, see if I can find him and message him and be like, I'm a fan of your work. So I did that. And then we kind of started to be pen pals. And he's amazing. He's this poet. He's uh, lives in, I think it's Tama, Iowa. His stuff is just incredible. Like, I remember reading the poem, it was something about the railroad tracks and a tooth. And I was like, I am sold. Like, that's all you need to say to me. It's like, you combine two weird things like that. So we kind of started a dialogue and I was reading a lot of his poetry and, and that was really helping with a lot of imagery in my songs and stuff. Um, because he also writes about the natural world a lot. So Ray Young Bear, he's amazing. And his book is called Manifestation Wolverine. But then I was reading what I always read, which is like also fantasy books. I was reading Graham Greene. And he was really important to me, Graham Greene, because he's so good at distilling an emotional scene down to like the finest. Like you just get the exact details that you need to evoke an image and and to get across information. And I was so impressed. Like he's not overly descriptive but he's just the right blend. So I was really thinking of that because to me that translated exactly to songwriting. And I'd read this really good Siri Husfet book called The, in- the Di- wait, is it The Disenchantment? No, I think it's The Enchantment of Lily Doll. Sorry, I'm like getting lost in my album name. So I was reading a lot of different things and that's how I get through my writer's block. I just, I just read. The um, vivid imagery in your own songs was one of the first things that jumped out at me when I encountered your music. So it's interesting to hear you mention that in another writer's work, how that's sort of what you gravitated towards. I think the the ones that especially stuck with me from this record are um, on She Wonders when you talk about the butter sun and the halo of the Texas rain. Where are you pulling those from? Yeah, I don't know. I was really envisioning an exact thing I saw in my head. I am not a visual person person, but I'm a visual person through language. You know, when I was doing my thing at UCLA, I was an art history major. And I really liked that because it, to me, I was getting into these pieces through a language, through a history. And I feel like in my songs, that's sort of what I'm trying to do. I want you when you're listening to my song to feel like you are in a movie. And so I'm doing my version of painting with that. And I think I wrote that song about touring through the Southwest and I was sitting in the car all the time because man, those drives are really long. And I was probably recalling that memory and being like, what did it feel like? And I was like, oh, this, the sun was like butter. It was like melted butter, the light, and it was hot and dusty. And it's that sort of thing. It's just, I'm trying to just literally make you feel like you're in a movie because I can't draw it <laughs> or paint it. So might as well do it with words.
cinematic quality, I think, comes through not only in the lyrics, but also so much in the instrumentation on Disenchanter. It's very grand. It's very immersive. It feels like perfect, like I'm sitting in the back of the car, like staring out the window music. Is that kind of like what you were going for when you were working up like a sonic palette for the record? Yeah, I mean, I love music that gives space for that. Like Psychedelic Furs, to me, they're really good at that. The Water Boys and stuff like that. Yeah, I really approach that sound palette through guitar. So the things on guitar, the kind of weird harmonics and stuff, that's going to be my approach. This the synths, the cinematic synth stuff is really from the producer AG. He is really amazing at that. And I think it's just our taste. Like that's what we like to hear. So we just obviously are just going to also do that in our own stuff in a way. I mean, I like the drama. I like the romance. I like having dynamics in songs. Like that's what keeps me interested. I want like a story arc, like a book. I'm trying to get better or maybe learn to appreciate like music that's very just, uh, you you just get in the pocket and you sit in it for a while and then you get off the ride. Like I'm trying to get more into that music because sometimes I'm very like into the drama. Like I love that like Def Leppard song, Animal, you know, it's like, I don't know. So A.G. Cook produced this new album of yours. What was the genesis of that creative partnership? Well, I mean, it's really funny because we're, we're obviously dating. It has to do with a little bit of the personal, so I might as well just talk about it. But like when we met, I didn't know anything about his music. I hated pop music. I think I was in the car with someone and they're like, oh, this is this person and this is his music. I was like, turn this off. It's so bad. This is me kind of going back to that answer when I was telling you I was very like genre specific when I was younger. And so I think meeting Alex was a wonderful thing because he and his group of people, his community around him, they are not judgmental about genre. Like they pay attention to everything and give everything the amount of time they're just very generous in that way. And they're very open-minded and open-hearted. And I think that was such a big thing for my music because I always like secretly liked like Shania Twain songs. But when I was in like my indie band, I wouldn't say that to anyone or I wouldn't sit down and be like, I'm going to, you know, write a song to emulate this, the catchiness of uh, that don't impress me much, you know? I, I purposefully blocked myself from that. So when I met Alex and I realized that, you know, he has this kind of classical background, but then he's like doing computer stuff, but then he's like kind of, he can listen to anything. He's interested in anything. He's always finding something like worthwhile in something. And it really taught me to sort of try and look at the world more like that. There's just no boundaries for him in terms of what can inspire him or, or give him inspiration. And, and that was a really crazy thing for me to learn because my genesis, my genesis personally was like, I started doing kind of country Americana music. I dressed in Patsy Cline dresses. I, I only played like an acoustic guitar. Then I started playing electric, but I hated effects pedals. I have no idea why, because I love them now. This is like as a teenager, I just plugged directly into the amp and I was like, everyone has to learn how to play like this. And then I went to being like, well, I love effects pedals. I love Dinosaur Jr. Like, how did I not know? Like, they've been my favorite band for forever. They're into effects pedals. So I dove really deep into that. But then I was like, well, I obviously hate pop music. 
you know, and then I met Alex and then I was just like, oh, all these people who work in pop are like very well versed in every single genre and they choose to do this because they love it. Bottom line is, is it's wonderful to meet your peers in music and see how they approach the world. That is one of the reasons that I love doing music so much is I love learning about the way that my friends and people I admire make their art. I'm just addicted to that. So I'm sure that you and Alex sort of push each other creatively as well, because the work that he does on your music is so distinct. And I, I say this as someone who's who's been like a PC music fan for a while, so distinct from like any other project that I hear him involved in. What's the sort of like creative dynamic when you two are like working together on music? Well, you know, he just doesn't do too much. And I think he just kind of lets me do the things that I do, which is, you know, the writing stuff and the like, you know, a lot of the songs I just have fully finished and I bring to him and he just keeps space. And I think he just does what a lot of good producers do, which is you just try and enhance the work of the person that you're working with without putting your own thing on it. And so I think he's very conscious not to, you know, make it be like, this is a blank production, you know? He's very much being like, this is a Alaska Reed song. And that's why I really appreciate it. And yeah, it was funny because when we met, he told me he didn't play any instruments. And I was like, what the hell? And then he'd like sit down and if we were near a piano, he'd sit down and play a classical piece. I'd be like, what? I was like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Like, why are you hiding that? And so I think maybe that's a way in which we have helped each other is he stopped for some reason pretending that he didn't love instruments. <laughs> I mean, he obviously loved them, but I mean, it, it just shows you that like as an artist, you just everyone's going through their own kind of weird parameters they've set for themselves and breaking them and then building them up again. And that's kind of the beauty of the change throughout your career. You can really explore different channels by both corralling and also by blowing everything open. I want to circle back to something that you actually said a while ago, but it was it was one of the things that grabbed me a lot on first listen as well. When you were talking about trying to make your singing choices really intentional on this new album, I was thinking so much about how much variation there is in terms of your voice and your timbre across this project, especially on songs like Leftover, but also She Wonders, where you're doing a lot of this like speak singing or like it almost feels like you're like more whispering to the listener than you are like fully like belting out a song. And I'm I'm curious to learn a little bit about like what the thought process was behind that that creative choice. There are a couple of different things at play. The first thing was just that I had made a conscious decision from the beginning that I wanted this song to be it was just going to be a wordy song. And I accepted that because I wanted to get a lot across. I wanted to paint a really detailed picture. And I knew that I was working in something that people aren't necessarily like diving into all the time. Like people aren't necessarily writing overt tour songs. So I knew I needed to add more details. And so part of that is like, I'm not going to be able to do some legato singing or whatever. I'm going to need to <laughs> figure out a way to like get the information in there. And then also I wanted it to have a very kind of intimate talky quality because I did feel like that served the story. 
you know, two characters kind of talking to each other. And it's very much about the internal monologue in your head as well. So it's kind of blending all those things. I just really did want it to feel like a play in that way, like to have the different dialogues. And, you know, there's the second verse. It's like characters speaking to each other. And, and then in the chorus, it goes, she wonders. So it's all in her head. And then you don't really know by the end if you're saying, you don't have to for me. Being cool doesn't mean anything as if you're whispering it to a character. So I think that idea of like snippets of conversations, like confiding in somebody, I, I did want that. And so I guess the voice just naturally evoked that. Would you say that Disenchanter is more of a Montana record? Is it more of an L.A. record or does it pull from both of those places? I think it pulls from both. And I was very conscious to do that because I didn't want to be tied to just one geography. I didn't want it to be just about Montana. And I think Palomino especially is a very important song about L.A. because I really wrote that for my mom when she was in L.A. in the 80s. And the stories she'd tell us working at this kind of country western bar called the Palomino in North Hollywood. And then I wanted to write that for my younger self as well about me being 18 years old and, and playing tons of shows in LA because I was here in LA just gigging all the time with my band and, and how I felt like there was a kind of portal between those experiences of my mom's and mine. And, and it was very much set in LA, which is a very, I mean, I live in LA, but it's a weirdo place. <laughs> and I wanted to write a song for that. In my mind, it's my grown-up album because I'm touching on different places, but I'm not leaning on it as a crutch. What I want is this really, really what I want Turns him on his idea of me Is this really, really what I want I'm not the secret to West Coast dream Is this really, really what I want? Someday soon I'm gonna leave him here Won't be able to touch me, catch me Do you have a favorite song on the record right now? I really love that Dogs and Girls song and I love Leftover too. Leftover is weird, though, because it's one of my oldest songs, the chords of it. I wrote a song ages ago that was on an Alieska album that's not even online. I think it's only on vinyl that I have in like my garage and it is probably on discount sale in a record store in Montana. But anyways, there's a song that's those chords on it. So that's such a weird one because it's such a tunnel into the past for me at the same time. I rewrote the lyrics, obviously, in the melody, but I love that one. But I, I do really love Dogs and Girls because I loved what it turned into. I had the song finished and it was very, I don't want to say, it was like had a droney, like muddy element because it was in this particular open tuning where the E is tuned all the way down to C and it was very kind of like hazy. And I was playing it. I, how I was recording the album, I was just playing over and over and doing these takes of it on my logic. And finally, when I went to AG and I said, oh, you know, here it is. He was like, I think we got to speed it up. And then he isolated this 
harmonic guitar loop I had had because I do a lot of guitar production on my own and he was like we're gonna make this the base of the song and it was like it was kind of like a weight being lifted off the song because the song is a really dark song in terms of content it's about missing women and serial killers and the way that it feels almost like you see a poster of a missing girl and it's like the same as seeing a poster of a missing dog you're horrified and desensitized at the same time. So the content of the song is super duper dark. And I, I think having the instruments be light and the voice be really like intense was such a nice thing. And I, I just feel really proud of what that song turned into because it was so in the mud pit for a while, the sound of it. I love hearing about all of your guitar related creative process specifically because I think it's so cool that you have such a a big hand in that because it's such a prominent part of the record. I mean, clearly you have a long history with the guitar as an instrument. I guess, like, what do you love about it at this point in your time making music? What does it sort of represent for you? I guess it's like a security blanket. I mean, it just feels like a piece of myself, the way that I've bonded with writing on guitar and guitar and I'm really interested to to explore doing more stuff on piano, but I feel like I really fought the world for a long time and felt really alone with my songs. And when I was performing when I was younger, because I started performing in LA, like on the Sunset Strip, doing kind of more country stuff when I was 15 and I first started coming to LA. You know, I had my family who were very supportive and sweet. And I had some people who came to shows who were sweet. But like overall, most other things were really fucking challenging. Like people just didn't want to see me do that, which is fine. But it was good. It made me tough. And uh, I think the thing that never made me feel alone is like my guitar never failed me. And I played all those songs with my guitar and it was like my own little world and it transported me there and my tunings were my own and it was something that nobody could touch. I practiced so hard. Like when I was growing up, I didn't, cause I started, I moved to Montana. I mean, I moved from Montana to LA when I was like a teenager ish. The transition was really weird for me and it wasn't bad, but I definitely didn't do I have a typical high school experience and I sat in in my room and I you know read fantasy novels and I played guitar and so I really developed a bond with that and it was so cathartic and I just do feel like it's something I've lived with for so long so I feel really close to guitar I know that sounds like so dumb like I feel close to guitar <laughs> but I do I do That was Alaska Reed talking to The Faders' Walden Green. Reed's new album, Disenchanter, drops this Friday, July 14th, by Illuminal. The Fader interview is engineered by Tony Giamproni. The executive producer is Alex Robert Ross, and the associate producer is Raphael Helfand. We'd like to thank Loughton Audio for providing our microphone. You can find them online at lautenaudio.com. And we'd like to thank James Ivey for providing our intro music. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd appreciate if you left a five-star rating and review. And keep an eye on thefader.com for essential music news, interviews, and essays. We'll be back soon with another episode of The Fader Interview. Goodbye until then.